15 years ago, you, you, you look at me, I'm the obese one, and you automatically think that's the one who's got the, the health problems coming around the corner. So, you know, so we were going along. It was the fall of 2013. Mm -hmm. We were looking amazing. We were feeling amazing. And within um, two sentences, he looked at me, he said, clutching papers in his hand, he says, Dan, it's not kidney stones or kidney infection, it's cancer. And he said it exactly like that. And, you know, that, that word just reverberates. And um, just as the cliche is shown in the movies, time slows and you're listening to it. And uh, he started to explain that uh, it's kidney cancer. And your right kidney is one massive tumor. That was the exact moment that I fully committed to a plant-based lifestyle of that was it. You know, in the room in emergency, after hearing everything that Sean had been talking about and listening and, and you know, sinking into me as well there was no argument for me it was essentially that's it we're i'm going whole food plant-based from that moment onwards are you ready to upgrade your health to a new level and do so by learning from experts in the field of lifestyle medicine and plant-based nutrition well you are in the right place welcome to the plant-based dfw podcast weekly show we are your hosts, Dr. Rizwan Bukhari and Maya Acosta. Every week, we will feature guests who are either physicians, dietitians, health coaches, or chefs who will tell us about their journeys towards becoming plant-based and how they have helped others. And as you dive into the episodes, never forget, the more you implement these healthy lifestyle changes, the more you will upgrade your health. Welcome back to another episode. And friends, this is one of our longer interviews, and I enjoyed it so much that I decided not to omit anything. This is one of my favorite interviews because we had the opportunity to speak with a Canadian couple who was featured in the documentary, Eating You Alive. They are Sean and Dan Muskalak. Each one of them has an incredible story to share. Sean has a wonderful weight loss story. At one point, she was weighing close to 300 pounds when she discovered a video by Dr. John McDougall called The Perils of Dairy. This changed her entire perspective on how she ran her household. The family went along with the changes and Sean and Dan were looking great and feeling great. Then two years later, Dan discovered that he had stage four kidney cancer. In this episode, we hear each of their stories. We learn how they have been there for one another. We also learn how they are giving back to the community by sharing their stories so that others may also thrive on a plant-based diet. In addition, they volunteer at animal sanctuaries. They are voices for the animals and they care about our planet as well. Meet Sean and Dan Muskalak. <laughs> this is where we first uh, saw you guys. Yeah, they were featured in the movie Eating You Alive, and we learned about them early on, even before the actual movie was released. Uh, so we've known about you guys for quite a while, and we'll tell you how we found out about that. But welcome, Sean and Dan. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having so us. So glad to see you guys yeah. again. Yeah, it's been a while. So we originally met face-to-face uh, -face for the first time on, uh, uh, on the Holistic Holiday at Sea Cruise uh, almost two years ago, right? And yes. the world was a different place back yeah. then, wasn't and, it? Or we were lucky to get that in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I say that all the time because that, that year, Maya and I went to five different plant-based nutrition conferences, and I thought I, I thought <laughs> I was conferenced out, and and then we didn't. We've gone. We've had nothing since, uh, and so we were kind of glad we got it all in. So we're, we're really excited to have you guys on the show. An individual that Riz sort of worked with, and you can explain more about Randy, but Randy Tatoni was here in Dallas, the vascular center. We all went out to dinner, and he and I immediately noticed that we were eating 
the healthy choice, <laughs> like almost like a bootable kind of thing at the restaurant. And he, he's like, I noticed you got that. And so we started having this conversation. He realized that I was plant based. I realized he's plant based. He's like, talk to me more about it. And he, re- I had already been doing my own homework. I think when we were leaving the restaurant, he says, uh, I have something for you. Takes out the video and tells me that um, he's in it and he even autographs it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know if I can say that, but it was not even available yet. Like it had not even been released. I think there was another cut after this one, but that's when I heard your story. Oh, that's so great. I've had an opportunity to meet him a couple of times now at uh, Plantrition, the conference down in California. Yeah. So yes. you yeah. haven't met him, have No, you? we've met. We've managed to meet quite a few of the cast members and online, of course, we're connected. And it's, we certainly are like family. And uh, Marilee uh, Jacobs and Paul Kinnemer Jr., the producers and the whole team, uh, just fabulous, fabulous yeah. endeavor. It's yeah. really, it really gave us this springboard um, for our platform and... Um, what a vehicle, what a beautiful moving film, very educational and the health reversal stories, uh, cases in it are just phenomenal. It's one of the better movies that we've seen and too bad it hasn't made it yet to places like Netflix, for example. Or... Yeah. yeah, well, fingers crossed, right? Yeah. Right. So why don't you guys uh, each tell us uh, a little bit about yourselves and how you uh, became plant-based? Well, I guess it really starts with our son. He was uh, 15. He joined a gym. He wanted to be a bodybuilder, weightlifter. And at the gym, they told him you would need to take protein powders if you were ever going to put on muscle. So he came home. He said this to me. And like a good mom, off I went to the health food store. And I was looking at those giant tubs of whey protein with the paragraphs of ingredients. And the sales clerk comes up to me and she says, oh, who are you buying this for? I said, my son. How old? 15. She kind of leans in and whispers to me in a really soft voice. She goes, you need to go home and do some research before you give this to your kids. Mm. And I thought, when are you ever in a store and they deter you from buying a product? So that really, you know, intrigued me. So I came home and I Googled whey protein powder. And by, by some good luck, I came across John McDougall, Dr. John McDougall's um, YouTube video, The Perils of Dairy. And I watched it. And I remember thinking, who is this crazy quack, right? Because it was completely the opposite of everything I'd ever been taught until my mid-40s, right? I needed milk for strong teeth and strong bones, and it does a body good, and you need to make sure your kids are getting lots of dairy products for calcium, blah, 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 all of that. So I watched it once, and it was just so you know, befuddling. I was just like, what is this? That I watched it three more, two more times, like three times in a row, back to back to back. And of course, YouTube, there's always a a side panel of different doctors. And of course, there was uh, Esselstyn, Ornish, um, who else was there? Dr. T. Colin Campbell. T. Colin Campbell, who I had no idea who that was at the time. But I started to watch all these YouTube videos and it just absolutely intrigued me it just sparked some kind of flame and I and at that time I was an avid reader it was in book clubs all that kind of stuff and that was 2010 I haven't read fiction since 2010 (laughs) 
And so that Christmas, um, Dan got me a Kindle. And so I was able to download all of the, the, these doctors' books, researchers and doctors. And I just started to read. And at that time, I wasn't working outside the home. So I remember like getting everybody off to school. I had two teenagers and a husband who was working shift work. And so I'd get them out of the house. And then I would literally sit and read for maybe five or six hours. I just couldn't get enough. And so I started leaning in. That was the fall of 2010. I started cooking differently. And then I started to make myself a plant-based meal. And I was still cooking standard American diet for the kids and Dan because they were not interested in what I was doing at all. And so I kept going that way. And then finally, I read The China Study. In the early in the spring of 2011, and that was the quintessential moment that I realized I could no longer feed myself or my family in that manner. And so it was April 1st, April Fool's Day, that I decided that's it. And I cleaned out the whole house. I took you know a big bin over to our neighbors of frozen bacon and pounds of butter and everything. And I'm like, hey, do you want this? And they're looking at me like. Uh, Some stuff went to the woods for the coyotes yeah, and yeah. The animals. Cleaned out the freezer of any meat, just yeah. And so it was like kind of um, you know, as much as I've been leaning in, it was overnight for the kids and Dan. I was like, too bad, so sad. This is how we eat at home, and that's just the way it's going to be. And so that first month of fully committing, I lost fifteen pounds, and I have to say that. At that time, I weighed 293 pounds. I was almost 300 pounds. And I had tried throughout my life, I think classic story, you know, I gained a lot of weight for my first pregnancy, more for my second, always wanted to lose it, always struggled with my weight, uh, did all the diets, you know, the Jenny Craigs, the Weight Watchers, everything like that. Mm -hmm. And sure, they would work while you were on them. Um, But then as soon as you hit a goal and you went back to eating what everybody else ate, of course, the weight came back. Mm -hmm. So I kind of given up on losing weight. It just didn't feel like it was ever something I was going to be able to achieve. And so I really did this for the health benefits for, um, you know, I've been reading reading all these books and I thought, you know, I'm a prime candidate for heart disease and diabetes and cancer and all of these things due to my weight. And maybe I should be changing how I eat. So, so I lost 15 pounds that first month and I was totally shocked because we still call ourselves high volume eaters because we eat, you know, I was eating mountains mountains of food. It just happened to be all plants. And so that was astonishing to me. And I, so I just kept going and it was like, I never had an end goal in mind because I never imagined that it would ever become as much as it was. So it was like, okay, uh, maybe I could lose 30 pounds. Oh, maybe I could lose 50. Oh my God, maybe 70, maybe not hundred. Oh my God. And it just kept going. And over the next two years, I lost 133 pounds. Wow. Oh my goodness. It was life-changing. I don't think until you're obese or you have somebody in your family or a loved one who is obese that you really understand the struggle, mm. the shame, the embarrassment, mm. um, all of those things. Not only that, but how 
what it puts you, what lifestyle and how it, you know, hinders you in participating with the rest of the family if you have a family that is somewhat more active than the one individual. Yeah, I mean, I always say I was uh, I was really a spectator in our family's life. I mean, Dan took the kids skiing, he took them camping, he took them canoeing, and I didn't because I just I was too obese, I was too out of shape, um, I just couldn't participate in family life. So I watched and I made comfort food. I was the one who was making the, you know, and a food was my currency. I, if somebody did me a favor or, or I would make them a cheesecake or that's what I was known as. And I think you need to phenomenal baker and cook. Definitely, <laughs> You need to stamp out an identity for yourself because you feel like you don't fit into all the other categories. So you think, okay, that's my identity. I'm the one that makes cheesecakes and all kinds of bakes cakes pies. and all of that kind of stuff. Pies. And I was really known in our community for that. Three year running peach pie <laughs> queen at the local fair. Wow. Congratulations. Well, thanks. Yeah. You know, and it was, it was odd because it was my, uh, great grandmother's pie recipe and it was lard and it was like if it didn't have lard or butter in it I didn't make it right because yeah. it was yeah. like yeah. I was adamant and at the time you know we thought we were eating healthy prior to eating plant-based you know we were never processed food from packages or boxes everything was always from scratch cooking right. and you have the idea and the ideology and the mindset that that's healthy but right. little then we found out yeah. no and we still you know we do get a lot of people reach out to us and and uh communicate with us and they're like oh we have a pretty healthy diet and and i'm like you know okay tell me what your diet is and of course it was the diet that we were eating mm -hmm. and so i think we're all led to believe uh, you know i i yeah. think most of our nutritional information comes from well-funded advertising yeah. campaigns yeah. i mean oftentimes we just don't know what we don't know Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and you can't blame yourself. No. I mean, this is what you were grown up. You were taught this as you were growing up that you need all of these different yeah. foods. And, yeah. and so you, you do that and you feed your kids. I mean, I just sometimes I lie awake at night thinking about the crap that I fed my kids. Mm. I mean, they're both now plant based or vegan. Um, but, you know, I always think, did I plant the seed of prostate cancer or breast cancer by the crap that I was feeding my kids? Yeah. We just recently uh, spoke with a pediatrician, a plant-based pediatrician, who, uh, you know, one of her uh, things is that she just wants to be able to tell the parents, do you realize what it is you're feeding your children? Then maybe that they'll, they'll change what they're doing. It's not a slight or, to, you know, to, to pressure or insult somebody, but it's just that here's some proper information with the very robust data yeah. as to what we've been taught prior to now what we know really with the democratization of information. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting in the two years uh, that we were from 2011 uh, onwards, um, so I was eating that way 95% of the time. So in the home, eating plant-based and then being a police officer, 12-hour shifts, four on, four off, night and day shifts. And I was out of the home scarfing crap down, you know, and, uh, but even eating that way 95% of the time, um, at the time I shed about 35 pounds over the two years, I got rid of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, metabolic syndrome, and prediabetes all vanished. Wow. And um, so it was very, very encouraging. And in particular, you know, you start to lead to your, your mid-40s, late-40s, retirement's on the horizon. 
And then again, too, you look at some other individuals and, you know, the, the illnesses, chronic illnesses with heart disease and diabetes and so on. And, and then so you say to yourself, wow, this is, this, is, this is interesting and it works. So when she made the decision April 1st uh, and, and you guys went fully plant-based at home, how, what, was your, what was your take on that? Well, I guess, I guess it was, okay, let's do this. And then because, you know, she was, you know, feeding me the information as well. I read this today. You should watch this. Check out a little like, bit about this. Yeah. But she was, you know, she was fortunate that she had the, at the time, the time to yeah. dedicate to it. And, uh, but again, as, as a, you know, a self-taught and, and a learner, you know, she's phenomenal with the information retention. So the things that were being repeated to me, I thought, okay, well, that's all valid points. And I've seen for myself what's happened. But initially, of course, great cook. But when you change your, you know, your cooking strategies and stuff, yeah, the first month or so, you know, some of the food in your palate is still changing. And there was some epic fails for sure. And and it was it was the running joke is that, you know, I would serve something and that the three of them would pick at it and then they were like, Okay, we're gonna go for a drive <laughs> <laughs> drive through, right? Yeah. It was like, you know, and I'll say, we, live, you know, we live about thirty miles out of town, so yeah. it was quite a drive. Yeah. Yeah. Drive we went through our rice and beans phase. Uh, and, you know, early on and, you know, uh, you know, even, you know, a salad and rice and beans and that's, you know, like what everybody's perception of going vegan is. And, uh, yeah, so it, it took us a while too to evolve and, and, and change. And especially when you're dragging teenagers along, you know, they're not the easiest people to feed at the best of times. And so, you know, and at first, well, the boy versus the girl boys, <laughs> you know, if it's somewhat tasty, keep them fed. They grunt, they're happy, but the girls on the other hand, but it's funny, Haley, even as a child, she would always pick at food and on the plate, oh, is this dead cow? Is this dead pig? Is this dead? And we're like, and, oh, you know, gosh. And I remember it, that used to annoy the heck out of me because <laughs> I'd be like, you know, just be, you know, children starving to death in the world, blah, blah, blah. And if only I'd listened to her, we would have yeah. saved ourselves a world of yeah. hurt. Did she uh, jump on board pretty quickly then? Yeah. I mean, uh, I would let them have anything they wanted on Sunday. You know, I thought, okay, let's just, you know, eat this way. And then Sunday you can have whatever mm. you want. And that was for the first few months. And they would, on Monday morning, the three of them would go, oh gosh, I don't feel that well. Or I have an upset stomach or I feel kind of just not good. Mm. And so it was a couple of months of that before it really, you know, I think humans are pretty slow learners, but <laughs> it took them a while to realize that, you know, that kind of food the doesn't actually make me feel that good. Yeah. So they started getting more and more on board and now they're 24 and 27 and they're both plant-based yeah. still. So and I think too, as a couple, as a family, learning something as important as cooking and cooking together and, and preparing food and healthy food and really taking the dive into, okay, why, why are we eating this way? But to learn together a new right. style of cooking is a, is a really interesting phenomenon. You know, and I think, uh, you know, when we speak, we, our peer group comes out, generally speaking, we're speaking to people that are, you know, 40, 50, 60s, because all those bad habits have come home to roost mm -hmm. for the kids. At least I know, yeah, I would say that for our kids, it was more about the animal ethics. I think that's what really, really got them. Because of course, when you're a teenager, you're immortal, and you're never going to get sick and die. So mm -hmm. that didn't seem to matter to them as much as 
as the animals that mm -hmm. really kind of got them um so yeah so we were kind of going along i was having i was like reverting back to my 20s it seemed you know i could fit back into my wedding dress and uh i was like going through clothes i was having to buy new clothes every couple of months it was it was just astonishing that i had struggled my whole life and then i made the switch on what was on my plate and it just melted away effortlessly and it was astonishing and it mm -hmm. so we're kind of going along we're thinking I, the one thing too that it, as it was happening of course that i'm just flabbergasted my gosh <laughs> i've got that young beautiful she's still beautiful uh, all the time but to say wow here she is again the woman that i married but it wasn't only the physical changes i think it was the emotional well-being and um what it did for her you know personally and and also to say that wow we may have really you know she may have curbed and, and diverted you know chronic illnesses that were probably just on the horizon because you were always worried about my health yeah you? yeah you know and and that's the funny thing is like you know if you look at a picture of us back 15 years ago you 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 look at me i'm the obese one and you automatically think that's the one who's got the the health problems coming mm -hmm. around the corner so you know, so we were going along, we were, uh, you know, hitting, it was the fall of 2013. Mm -hmm. We were looking amazing. We were feeling amazing. Uh, People, you know, again, too, the, you know, the funny stories of, of coming up and meeting, you know, friends that you hadn't seen for a while. They would, you know, speak with me and she'd be wearing sunglasses and maybe not speaking just yet. And they would always square shoulder to shoulder with me. And then kind of glance over, kind of this little look of disdain or who is this person who's with Dan until she take her sunglasses off and start speaking and the jaws would draw. Yeah, I think they thought Dan was having an affair and then or he had brought his girlfriend Dan and Sean split up, nobody heard about it. And, and then too, when you'd encounter, you know, friends Yeah, yours. yeah, it was, it was, I think one of the most uh, interesting things is, you know, you get a lot of people going, oh my gosh, you look amazing. But one of the things that I wasn't expecting was that I would meet uh, acquaintances, women, um, you know, shopping or something like that. And they were women that I had known were struggling with their own weight and they would see me and it happened on two occasions and it just took me by such surprise they would start to sob and it was just so astonishing because i think that they had struggled their whole lives and had given up and then they saw me do it and it kind of you know we all see those ads uh, you know of the before and afters but it's not somebody you know and you and here I was and I'd be like in the grocery store and I'd have somebody in tears because I'd lost all of this weight and they were they had just so been so desperate to lose weight themselves and just didn't know how and just had given up and then it was I hope it gave them hope mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. yeah. so that was a really interesting a phenomenon it was it was a crazy two years yeah. it, it was really you hear it often too is is people when people start adopting or transitioning to or, or you know overnight transition to plant-based lifestyle is that um, you start to notice subtle changes you know it's like skin glow and hair and so on it's like what's going on here so yeah. we got we got a lot of that of, two years. what are you guys doing yeah so we're coming the fall of 2013 
Dan was going to be retiring soon. The kids mm-hmm. were going to be moving out. We were going to be empty nesters. Life was good. Mm-hmm. We thought we had the world by the tail and that we were bulletproof. Yeah. And then, and then so a week uh, was the beginning, the first week of November um, that um, uh, I was suffering from abdominal pain throughout the whole week. And um, the past, I, I'm a police officer with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for about 33 and a half years. And the last 10 of which have, have been as a, a media spokesperson, police spokesperson. So um, not uh, out in, in, you know, in the cars patrolling. But Wait a minute. I thought you guys rode horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a Mountie. But uh, yes, yeah, I, unfortunately, I never got into the musical ride. But uh, yes, yes. Queen's Cowboy. I've got a cousin-in-law who's a Mountie also. So I, I joke around with him about that. So at the office, everybody was noticing I looked pale, I was kind of sweaty, and you know, what's going on? You're not well. I was like, yeah, I got this abdominal pain. And I put it off throughout the whole week. And I was thinking, oh, man, I might be developing kidney stones or kidney infection, because that was something that was predominant and gastrointestinal issues in my family, um, given the lifestyle of French Canadian cuisine and, and uh, you know, some alcohol and cigars and whatnot. And um, so throughout the week, I put it off. And then the Saturday, I was splitting several cords of wood. And by the end of the day, I came back into the house and just buckled in pain. I said, we've got to go to the hospital. I can't, I can't go on. Something's going on here. So off we went to the emergency ward at the local hospital, and uh, they booked us in. Uh, they conducted just a whole slew of tests. And I advised, I'm thinking maybe kidney stones or kidney infection. So after waiting several hours, of course, then the physician came back, and they ushered us into uh, an examination room and, it was odd because, you know, there's the gurney and there's nowhere to sit. And he just stepped into the room. We were just standing there. And within two sentences, he looked at me, he said, clutching papers in his hand, he says, Dan, it's not kidney stones or kidney infection, it's cancer. And he said it exactly like that. And, you know, that, that word just reverberates. And um, just as the cliche is shown, the movies, time slows and you're listening to it. And uh, he started to explain that uh, it's kidney cancer. Your right kidney is one massive tumor. Uh, and the scans show that the tumor has metastasized or it's spread out of the kidney into the vena cava, which is your main vein, and it appears to be into your lymph nodes. So that, in a nutshell, he was explaining to us that uh, it was stage four renal cell carcinoma. And um, it... Um, that must have been absolutely devastated, especially when you've been on this healthy path of self-care, eating plant-based foods, probably even, you were probably even more physically active as a result, right? You probably had more energy. Yeah. And it's interesting that uh, I looked at, you know, even that night going into the hospital, other than not feeling well, I looked like I do today, even a little slimmer. Um, And um, so we were just like, well, how can this be? So, you know, the rug gets pulled from under your feet. Uh, so you spend a week of notifying, you know, family and, and breaking that news to them and, and then going into work. And uh, again, fortunate that I'm a federal employee. So, you know, benefits uh, were very fortunate for that. So I told everybody that, you know, I was taking a leave of absence and that there was stage four kidney cancer, that uh, my prognosis was months to two years, if that. Um, and it was followed by more visits to the specialist who explained exactly what had occurred and, and that your you know the vena cava is that truncule vein that all your major organs are attached to uh so you described that uh, the tumor was now growing into that upwards towards my lung lungs and heart 
and that um, they said the first order of the day would be surgery to remove the kidney and extreme nephrectomy and either dissect the vena cava if they weren't able to just simply pull the tumor out uh, and also clean out some lymph nodes. Um, and uh, they said that, uh, you know, this is, this is really bad and, and um, stage four kidney cancer is terminal. There's no effective treatment for it. And then they said, but um, because you're such a healthy individual, you know, the, can or the, the surgery itself was an extreme surgery that, that had a lot of risks attached to it. They said, again, because you're so healthy, you're an excellent candidate for the, for the surgery. So the, uh, we got a, a pretty quick date, a quick turnaround uh, from November 9th being the, the night in the emergency ward. And uh, to note, that was the exact moment that I fully committed to a plant-based lifestyle of that was it. You know, in the room in emergency, after hearing everything that Sean had been talking about and listening and, and you know, sinking into me as well, there was no argument from me. It was essentially, that's it. We're, I'm going whole food plant-based from that moment onwards. Um, so off we went to the four of us, and that's how we spent our Christmas Eve at the Vancouver General Hospital um, for the surgery, uh, the surgery appointment. And Christmas Eve, we, uh, I had uh, the uh, two nephrologists and a cardiologist on hand for the surgery because there was risk of perhaps bleeding out on the table. Um, so, uh, they said, well, we can either kind of open it up a little bit or make a massive incision to really have a good look around. I said, do what you got to do, you know? So yeah, I was from large Chevron across my abdomen. Uh, they removed the kidney. They were able to pull the, uh, tumor out of the vena cava without dissecting it, which I think was a, a, a big plus. Uh, and then they removed several immediate lymph nodes around the kidney. Um, but again, I had several distant, uh, lymph nodes that were affected. And of course, you can't go around the body plucking lymph nodes out. So they, there was three that were quite concerning that there remained. One, my mid-back by my windpipe, and then one of their lower chest area. Um, so, so, yeah. And then to back up, you know, I think after his diagnosis, um, you know, I, I think for, mm. for two weeks, you just kind of are in a bit of a zombie state because you can't believe this is happening to you. This happens to other people, not to you. Mm. And... And then after about two weeks, it was kind of like, okay, well, I've been doing all this reading. Uh, and I really kind of started to focus on cancer and nutrition. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, there's about 100 years of data showing that animal protein promotes cancer cell growth. And I remember, you know, you're so angry because nobody tells you this. And then you also are hopeful because, okay, we've been doing this for a couple of years let's put it to the test. Mm -hmm. And so we really, you know, we had been uh, kind of, you know, vegan, plant-based, but we really took that deep dive. From November we, 9th onwards. Yeah, well, because we knew this huge surgery was coming up. So it was, we just got so clean and mean, and it was what I called my program of nutritional excellence. So it was uh, no broken grains, no oil, no salt, no sugar, tons of greens, no processed foods. It was just such an amazing high quality diet to mm. get him ready for this huge surgery and to actually, you know, okay, let's, you know, Colin Campbell says this is, so let's do it kind of thing. Mm. So 
we we did that and you were like eating mountains of greens at every meal mm -hmm. and it, yeah it uh, it was amazing too because you know your palate changes as well as you transition to this this type of food and you know the the cravings for the the high uh, impact tastes of, of sugar salt and, and oils um, and, and you you adapt to it and, and it becomes very very tasty yeah. and we yeah. never felt deprived even yeah. back then with with how clean that that that, that food and, was and we were you know we were highly motivated too I mean a lot highly of motivated and self selected yeah. uh, is a term that uh, Alan Goldhammer uses for for his program so we self selected <laughs> because we thought we're going to do this and we were highly motivated definitely to yeah. stack the odds in in, uh, in in our favor in my favor and everybody said well why did you go plant based I didn't want to die. I, you know, I want to do everything that I could to hopefully that would skirt this. If I might make a comment for our audience, you know, what's the point? Uh, what's the idea behind a plant-based diet? So many, much of our audience already knows all this, but for those of who don't, the concept here is that a plant-based, a whole food plant-based diet is full of nutrition. It's full of phytonutrients, antioxidants, vitamins, and minerals, and fiber. Uh, whereas a standard American or Western diet. Uh, it doesn't. It's it's cancer promoting. It's disease promoting. It's full of salt, oil, and sugar, and processed foods, which we all know are extremely unhealthy for us. And and much and, and all the the scientific data and evidence point to these things. Uh, of the it's these uh, these diets are really opposites of a di they're opposite dichotomies of uh, opposite ends of a spectrum. So you had committed to the healthiest known uh, evidence based diet that there is. And you know, and it was interesting too that we had you know. You always get those people that those naysayers that like to give you a little dig because they're so anti-vegan, anti-plant based, and they're like, "Oh, well, you've been on this diet for two years and you still got cancer." Kind of like that little snippy. Oh, guess it's not that great after all. But I think it's really important to know that a cancer of Dan's magnitude would have grown. We've been told up to fifteen to twenty years. It could have silently been creeping along so yep. it was growing through you know most of his adult life it was certainly not those last two years that had initiated it in fact in my humble opinion i feel that we had slowed the cancer growth in those last two years exactly exactly yeah cancers are slow growing they start they start years if not decades uh, before they manifest themselves clinically because they're very small and microscopic when they start. And it takes many, many uh, generations of doubling in their size before they become, uh, you know, meaningful. And you can have a mass inside you that you don't know for years. And until they become, they don't become clinically significant until they start to, you know, change your physiology in some way. So I think you're exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So the surgery, um, luckily, I mean, he, you were so healthy. Yeah, it was interesting too. Like I said, the the um, they were amazed. They said, you know, you stand a very good chance of fully recovering from the surgery because of it. And I got through the surgery. I was in the hospital for about six uh, about six days, and um, it was a brutal surgery. And I, you know, I woke up post surgery, and I had a intravenous in my neck. I had one in my arm. Um, I had a catheter attached and an epidural for for pain management and. Um, you know, again, never would I've ever dreamt or, or envisioned to see myself sitting in a hospital bed like that. And yeah, it, mm -hmm. it was it was it was difficult um, that to to comprehend that you know you you think you live a healthy life that yet here you are. So the the surgery incision was fifty three staples essentially approximately across my abdomen, and, wow. and like I said, in that large from 
from lower from one side of the abdomen up to the, you know, your sternum and back down again. And, um, I got home, um, and for the first week or so, uh, I was on a lot of different types of medicines or, or pharmaceuticals, a for the pain management for, to stave off infection. You know, there was something for everything in this and, combination. And as each one had a side effect, they'd give them another one to combat yeah. that side effect. Yeah. And then, so I found that, um, you know, a, I couldn't sleep and it was uh, an interesting phenomena to, uh, you know, you talk about insomnia, but this was nothing. This was uh, just incredible compared to what, you know, regular insomnia. So I couldn't sleep. And then I, you know, the one one point uh, I got up in the middle of the night because of feeling nauseous. And so you're, you know, and I haven't, haven't eaten for days because I can't eat because I've got all this across my abdomen. And um, I felt nauseous. I was throwing up or just wrenching my, my gut on an empty stomach. And the incision point and everything was so painful and I said, that's enough. I, 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 I'm stopping all this medication. I'll go down to a Tylenol for some pain management. And once I stopped all the medication, sleep came back. And then slowly but surely, and then for, for, for getting nutrients back into me, because within a couple of weeks, I, I lost a lot of weight. I shed, you know, a, a good... And you lost your sense of smell? Lost my sense of smell and taste. And, and then... And I uh, could not get you to eat? No. So... I well, thought, I yeah, he couldn't eat and I couldn't get him to eat. And so I, I thought, okay, what's highly calorically dense and full of nutrients? Nuts. Mm. So I had a little bowl of nuts beside the bed and he would just graze on them, like yeah. literally a cashew, you know, every half hour, maybe another pecan. Yeah. Like, and I swear and to works. God that got him through. Oh yeah, that and water. And then once the sleep, being able to sleep again came back, it was, uh, it was interesting too because you know at the time you're told um, you're going to die and uh, you, you might live for two years, but it's going to be a miserable two years. You're going to get sicker. Um, so as we progressed through the recovery from the surgery, uh, and then uh, you know I was bedridden and bound upstairs, couldn't get downstairs, and then slowly but surely you start to feel post-surgery recovery happening and feeling a little better. Uh, the appetite starts to grow, sleep is improving, and then the next thing you know, I was downstairs in the living room, the next thing you know, I'm walking up and down the driveway, which was a, a big accomplishment, um, but I felt good. You know, I didn't feel that I was getting sicker. I felt like I was healing, um, and then in the time, too, you know, I made it to town for, for CT scans, and they always said, they said, you'd be naive to think that this won't spread and grow. And um, the scans were showing at the, even at the beginning, no spread, no growth, uh, other than these three lymph nodes affected. So what they came to a conclusion was that the only hope that there was for medical intervention or medical assistance or some kind of treatment was to get on to a trial study with some of the newer immunotherapy drugs that were uh, in the, the phase one trial phase uh, study phases at the time. Before we get into that, I would like to ask a question. How did your physicians feel about the fact that you were plant-based? Did they comment on it? Uh, did they, uh, you know, make negative derogatory comments? Did they tell you you needed to eat animal protein and stuff like that? Our own doctor <laughs> had dealt with me for two years beforehand. so Dealt with, I like that. There's been a lot of friction between him and I because he'd be saying one thing and I'd be like... we had like, it for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, he's been our physician for 20 years, so we had a good close relationship. But we were constantly <laughs> arguing over things. And then if I, he really pissed me off, I'd show up at his office with data. 
<laughs> to study and I'd like you need to read this you know because you're wrong and I'm you know like I wouldn't say it that way but it was like so I was his red patient I called myself so I had been training him for two years so he was very cognizant of our lifestyle he was very supportive as and well. he was super supportive because he'd seen me transition seen um, me get healthier and he'd seen you get healthier so he wasn't a problem the surgeon we didn't really deal with him enough but once our well, <laughs> the oncologists we had issues with, yeah. and uh, you know we we can talk about that. We'll talk about that reaction. But I have to say that during the time that Dan was bedridden upstairs, of course, you know they always take tissue samples of the tumors and they do the whole, uh, you know, grow them in a petri dish for seeing the doubling time, all of that kind of thing. And I got a call, um, and they said, you know. Dan wasn't able to take the call, and I that so I did, and and they said, you know, we're really sorry to tell you that this is an extremely aggressive form of cancer, and I remember hanging up the phone and thinking, that's it, we're done, we're done. This there's you know we've done our best, and there's that's that's it, mm -hmm. and what we've come to realize now is that the petri dish or whatever they were doing in the lab was a very hospitable environment and we had made dan's body into an inhospitable environment for, for the cancer, cancer. Yeah. you were invited to go into this trial study yeah so the um the the trial study was described with the immunotherapy a combination of drugs that they had looked at for other types of cancers um and that um because again, and it was always repeated, because you're such a healthy individual, you're a great candidate for this. Um, you know, and they were always remarking, you go back to the oncologist for the checkups, you know, blood pressure is good, weight is steady. All my blood markers were excellent. And aside from the cancer, terminal cancer, I was extremely healthy, which again shows that, you know, you can live with cancer until it starts to impede on one of your major organs or, or so on, just as you described earlier. So, um, they said, uh, I, again, another term that a lot of cancer patients will hear is that uh, wait and watch. Uh, they said, because you're so healthy and that your only you know, opportunity or only option for, for medical intervention is through a trial study, we can watch and wait and see what the cancer is going to do. Uh, we don't want to hinder you with trying another ineffective treatment because that would negate you getting onto, as a, onto uh, the trial study. So by March, I was sufficiently healed. Uh, they remarked always when I went back in that my incision site was just unbelievably well healed. There was no pink, uh, you know, inflamed flesh or that, that scar tissue was in most part just quite invisible. And they always remarked about that as well. It healed It so healed, well. healed very, very well. Um, they finally said, yeah, okay, well, you've been successful. Uh, there is a study that's starting here in, out of Vancouver. Uh, with the nivolumab and ipilimumab, which, interestingly enough, we just saw a commercial recently because they, they have been licensed. But So these were immune therapy drugs, and the, the purpose of the drugs, uh, well, first of all, as a trial study, you get that big pack of papers with all the side effects and so on, and there was one paragraph that really stood out, and it indicated that, you know, you're agreeing to get onto this trial study and that you understand that, this drug or the combination of these drugs, the purpose of you getting onto the study is not to provide you with any personal benefit uh, or health improvement, but just the simple fact to, uh, you know, to participate in the study of the drug itself. So essentially, you know, you're a guinea pig. So there's no expectation 
uh, or should you have it, that it's right. going to improve your health. And so we had to go to Vancouver, which is about a five-hour drive for us um, down on the coast. We're in the, in the interior of the province. So we go to, to meet with the oncologist, the lead oncologist who's the heading up this clinic cancer study. clinic in Vancouver. And, you know, because it's a trial one, which is basically phase experiment, one. phase one, um, I say to him, I'd really like it noted that we're plant-based because if this is an experiment, you need to know all of the elements or factors. And that's where you say, Riz, that's where we got the eye rolls and that oh. food doesn't matter. Food doesn't matter. Wow. <laughs> Nobody wants to know. And every time I was constantly going on and on about how we're plant-based, it should be written down, it should be noted. And we've since had access to that whole file and there's not one mention hmm? of us being plant-based. No. At all. No. So, and yet every time we'd go in, They'd go, oh my gosh, you look so healthy. You're, you know, glowing. You're glowing. That, that glow everybody talks about, you know. So yeah, so we we, we got onto this study that was uh, March of two fourteen, and again, so from diagnosed in November to March, those were scans almost every six weeks, and that's quite that's several months. There was no spread to other organs. There was no spread to my bones or bloods or any or 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 or, or no, more no. further mastitization of yeah, the cancer. No, no so it didn't spread. And that was prior to even getting onto the treatment. Um, so the uh, the protocol was to be uh, four treatments of the combination of drugs every three weeks, and that would be followed by a maintenance program of the one drug every two weeks for the rest of my life, or oh my as they quote unquote, as long as your body can uh, endure it. And because it was a trial study, we had to go to Vancouver. So you completely abdicate your life over mm. to. You know, you drive down there for five hours. That's a whole day. He would have the treatment. It would wipe him out. Not as bad as chemo, but he would be really tired and couldn't eat. So we'd spend probably a day or two in Vancouver. Yeah, two or two or three three nights in Vancouver in a hotel. I'd bring him food. He'd just be in bed. Then we'd drive home, and then we'd repeat. Yeah, and it's like this. You know, you you start you think about okay, this is what the rest of our life is going to be like. Yeah. Every two weeks it was going to be. Yeah. So it's, yeah, and you it, it, you, it slides it back to those first steps of those first stages of the diagnosis. You never, you know, you're in, you know, you're, you're in, in the it. system. You're in the system. You're in the you're mindset. You're a file number and you're, a, you're um, in the system. So we, uh, you know, they, they described all the, the side effects of the drugs. Um, the one that was the most concerning, they said, okay, first of all, because it's immunotherapy, what it does essentially, it bumps up your immune system to a degree that it can get past the walls or blocks that the cancer puts up to hide behind. So it will seek out cancer cells and, 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 and um, hopefully destroy them. But they said it was like opening a tiger's cage and not knowing what that wild animal is going to do. And there's a likelihood or a possibility, I shouldn't say likelihood, there's a possibility of one of the side effects was the drugs attacking either a healthy organ or some other part of my system. Um, so we managed to get through the third uh, treatment of the combination of drugs. We got home one evening, a couple of days after. I woke up with a, a fever, which again, in my protocols, uh, anybody who's uh, diagnosed with cancer knows that fever is a really big red flag. And uh, so I woke up in the middle of the night with a slight fever, but fever nonetheless. And uh, so I contacted, uh, I woke her up 
and uh, you know, three o'clock in the morning, they said, we got to go to the hospital. And I got like, a fever. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. You're, you're fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, no, we got to go. <laughs> so we went to the hospital, the emergency ward again. Um, and again, it was interesting because normally when you go to the hospital, it's always they dictate to you, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. They don't listen to you very much. But in this case is here when you're on a trial study, it seems that they don't know anything of what your protocols are. So the dialogue was very positive and very, you know, they were full of questions. Well, what about this? What are we supposed to do? How about this? How about that? So they contacted the clinic. Uh, they were instructed as to what to do, and that was to draw blood. Unfortunately, that night, the, um, the electronic system, the digital system for relaying information from the hospital to the, to the cancer clinic was down that night. So they were only able to draw blood at the, about 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and they said, uh, okay, we're going to send it in, but uh, it's going to be a while, so you might as well go home. So we went home and shut all the phones off, of course, because you're, you're totally exhausted. And uh, we woke up later on in the morning, about 11 in the morning, with all the lights flashing, and then checked one of the messages. It was the cancer clinic. The guy was panicked. The guy from Vancouver. From Vancouver. Yeah. So contacted him by phone. He says, are you back at the hospital? I said, no, they sent us home. He said, God, you got to get back. Your, your liver right now is um, the drugs have hit your liver. Your drugs are attacking your liver. And he said that uh, the test results, they finally got them. And my liver was producing 25 times the normal enzyme levels that it normally does. Um, and um, it was a near fatal side effect. So back to the hospital, on to uh, prednisone steroids uh, intravenously every day. Uh, that was about a six-month regime. For the first month or so, it was intravenous. I was like a zooped-up tween oh. with ADHD. I woke up talking. I fell asleep talking. I had energy galore. I was eating like a pregnant woman. Oh, my God. And, uh, and angry. And angry, happy <laughs> mood swings. It was... Yeah, if, it wasn't, if the cancer wasn't going to kill me, she was I about was gonna, to. I, I was <laughs> like, for the first time in my life, I realized what it would be like to live with somebody who was uh, a drug on dependent on some kind of a drug, right? Cause it was a complete person. It, it, was, it wasn't him. It was not the Dan I know. No. It was, it no. was horrific. And just to clarify again, what you're talking about, what led you up to this point, the trial study and along with, you know, not only your your liver now sort of failing, but now you have all this additional medications to, to take all of this was so that you, your body could fight the perhaps the the few cancer cells that you might still have in your body, right? Because you said that the scans were not showing that there were there was any more cancer. Yeah, they didn't show any growth or spread, but I still had the remaining lymph nodes. So there was still, okay. you know, I had I had uh, there was at least three lymph nodes that were definitely visibly affected and and cancerous in the sense that they were enlarged. So that was one of the markers that they're always looking at these three lymph nodes as to what they were doing, if they you know. But and then again, what they noted too, even prior to um, or through this through the the treatment of. I was immediately dismissed after that third treatment, that third session. So the last uh, time that I, you know, now I can state that I haven't had medical intervention since May of 2014. And again, you're dismissed because they said that we would normally dismiss any individual where they had a liver attack where you would have five times the normal liberal enzymes uh, uh, levels elevating. And I was at 25 times the normal level. So it was... It was a near-death yeah. experience in itself. And as I said, in eating you alive, I mean, 
they don't, you can't, it's hard to get a drug to trial when you kill your trial patient study, you yeah. know, patients, right? Yeah. So, so we, uh, I healed from, uh, from the liver attack and uh, eventually, and then the prednisone, of course, you know, they taper you off that's very, very slowly so that your body starts recovering from it and recouping and doing what it's supposed to be doing without the prednisone. Uh, there was no permanent damage to my liver. Uh, and again, they kind of shrugged their shoulders and looked at me and saying, wow, you know, like, you're Superman. Um, and then so that fast forwarded us to the fall, no spread, no growth. And then they started using the term, your cancers in remission. So every time we went to the oncologist's office, you know, <laughs> you go in there expecting, okay, what's going to happen? Um, and then you'd walk out like, gosh, we've won the lottery again for another few months here. And, and let's see what happens next. And then by that time again, I am looking the way I do now. I fully recovered from the surgery. I gained a little bit of muscle mass back. Um, my energy levels were far better and health was far better again prior to the surgery or those years prior to adopting this lifestyle. So you just kind of go along saying, wow, this is pretty incredible. And then not not ever, you know, I've never angry about the diagnosis, just saying, okay, yeah, this has happened to me. And then, you know, we cried a lot and we laughed a lot. But we, I always would pull myself out of those moments where you really start wallowing in it and saying to yourself, I don't know how much time I have. I cannot permit myself to waste any time as to feeling, you know, this way. You, you pull yourself through it. Yeah. And, and really being mindful, we've always been mindful and we're fortunate. We live in such a beautiful location, the geography. We live a, a beautiful lifestyle here, you know, country lifestyle and, and, and always been mindful of that. And as a shift worker, seeing the 24-hour clock of day, night, seasonal changes, it's always everything I've always been mindful. But through the cancer, when you're sitting there introspectively thinking what's going on around you and, and just, you know, appreciating things more was really, really yeah, so, impactful. So that whole summer, you know, he was on prednisone. That was horrific. But as they started to wean him off, uh, his liver was okay. He was off the, any cancer treatment, no medical treatment at all. And when they said that he was supposed to get worse and die, he was just getting better and better, mm -hmm. healthier and healthier. And yeah, we'd go into the cancer clinic for another appointment and we'd, you know, walk in looking like this. They're kind of people sitting there you know in the waiting room that looking very ill and even you know it's just like oh who are, who are they why, why are they why here? Are they here kind of thing so yeah. so then that led us into the spring you had a scan yeah so we had a the, the, one of the one of the last scans was about around december got the results back in, in january february and we walked in again not knowing what would show and they looked down at the file and it was funny because i had was having oncologists kind of tag teaming me for my file because I was such an intriguing case where I had a few oncologists who saw several different ones who would like, oh, so you're this individual and this is a very intriguing, this is a very interesting case here. And so that one last meeting, that appointment, she looked at it, she closed the file literally, physically, and, and said, we're closing your file, you're cancer free, your cancer is radiologically undetectable. And to hear that was just like, <laughs> wow. And, and again, but because of, of I felt well, you yeah. know, so you're like, okay, this is great. And then we walked out. They said, if you were to walk in today, we would turn you around because you have no business being in here. And there's nothing we would do for you, could do for you. And there's nothing further we can do for you now. 
But wow. yeah. And that was that was February two fifteen. Yeah. So uh, you know, but the odd thing is, is that you know, everybody says they want to cure cancer. Dan's went away. They closed his file and sent him home. Why isn't there a team at our house looking at what we eat, when we go to bed, what kind of toilet paper you use? You know, like right. kind of laundry soap, like all of those things. Exactly. There's, there's yeah. nothing. Why aren't they studying the guy who conquered cancer? Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, you know, that kind of led us into the lifestyle that we're, where we are now. We, um, you know, eating, a eating you alive was just a crazy thing to get into. That was such, mm -hmm. a, um, such a fluke to be able to be participating in that. Yeah. I took two years off work. So I was off for two years. And um, once post-surgery, once post-treatment, and then, you know, cancer-free, then I... I started focusing again on, on fitness levels and, you know, the, our, we, you know, even with Sean through the years of her, you know, adopting this lifestyle, we weren't ever gym rats or, or into fitness, you know, she walked. That was all we would ever do. 5k, 2k, you know, about three miles up the yeah. road hills yeah. and then back down to the house. And uh, so I waited to the fall of, uh, uh, you know, of, 215 and yeah. I went back I went back to work and everybody you know I came back to work and everybody's like wow you look terrific but you had terminal cancer so it was just a little bit of cancer yeah, a touch of cancer no, just stage, a touch of the cancer yeah stage four kidney cancer is terminal apparently and you know five percent the other amazing thing is that uh, you know the statistics are there's a five percent survival odd to the five year mark for uh, stage four renal cell carcinoma. Perfect. In other words, I had a ninety five percent chance of dying, and I didn't. Mm -hmm. The cancer didn't spread. The cancer didn't grow. I got healthier. I didn't just survive. I thrived. Congratulations! Yeah, Congratulations. that's an amazing story. Absolutely mm -hmm. amazing. And and you got me convinced that uh it's your plant-based lifestyle that contributed to your recovery obviously the surgery was an important aspect uh and uh but no doubt uh you took control of your health uh and and uh, decided which direction you were going to take your life in i always wonder about ca cancer survivors and how they feel every day i know that you appreciate every day that you're living and you're doing so much more than the average person i mean you have so many things that that drive you today, but there's still that a little bit of fear there. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it. I don't think that will ever go away. Um, but again, with the uh, uh, the mindset that you have to have, or, or hopefully have, is that you know, like I say, you know, you 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 get up in the morning, you open your eyes, pop open, you say, okay, today's another day. Let's get let's let's see what kind of day it is, and then you get through the day, and then you jump into bed again. You close your eyes, you go to sleep, and then you repeat. And I think for the first little while it was hard for us to plan like I, I remember my mom saying would you guys like to come for lunch next week and I'm like next week I, I can't think about next week I just that's too far ahead and she just couldn't get that and and it took such a long time for us to even start planning again mm. to think about a month out two months out yeah. and and now we're you know optimistically thinking for the future but there's always this little yeah. thing in the back of your and regardless, head going, maybe regardless too of what happens I do know that I've, I've had the seven years that I've had that uh, I didn't think I would so yeah. I'm very appreciative and of it every day this summer you had a little bit of a scare yeah yeah it was interesting too because you know you one of those the issues of that what developed was because of the massive surgery created scar tissue 
So um, that was in August, I believe, July. July. So in July, one day, I'm, I wake up, I've got abdominal pain, and I'm thinking, oh, something I ate or so on and so forth. And uh, it was very, very severe. And I was, again, buckled in pain. So in a flash, you're back to that, oh, gosh, what's yeah. going on? Went to the hospital. They did. And it was interesting because they, you know, the local hospital, again, they had all my previous record. They were so good. And, you know, I walked through the door. They, they had everything set up. They took the scans. And um, for that moment prior to talking to the, the doctor again, is it going to be it? So there was a 50-50 yeah. chance. And it was funny because he came back. And he was a pretty soft-spoken guy, and he sat down beside me, and I'm, I'm looking at him, and he's not saying anything. And then I look, he, he gives me a little fist bump. I'm like, okay, <laughs> fist bump maybe is good. And he says, it's not cancer. What is going on is you've got a, a bowel obstruction. I was like, a bowel obstruction? Ah. Well, yeah, because of the scar tissue around, around the bowels, what had happened, of course, that scar tissue kind of interferes with the function and kind of messes up the areas around the bowel so mm -hmm. it was bowel obstruction so again but thinking oh okay well what does this mean he said well you're being hospitalized today for at least three days so I was like what and it was and, so interesting because this of course is during COVID so I couldn't even go into the hospital yeah. with him I was waiting in the parking lot for I think four hours while he's having all these tests and you're, you're thinking is Here this the moment that our lives change again forever? Yeah. And I couldn't even be with him. Yeah. And then, and then it was just a bowel obstruction. Just about weird. Just, now. yeah. Ooh, and then I was jealous because he got a medically supervised fast. Yeah. So they, <laughs> I was, yeah. It, 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 had, it had a few downsides to it. The first one was... Uh, uh, an NG nasal gastro tube and uh, yeah so that was uh, about a, a tube about uh, I don't know 32 inches down through my sinuses into my stomach to uh, to um, you know clear up and suction out the the, the backlog and uh, it was a very very unpleasant I've gone through a lot of things of rotator cuff surgeries the surgery from the cancer but this NG thing, man, it was, and, but I, I kept thinking too, because what happened, of course, then you get nauseous and you're throwing up and then I'm throwing stuff up and I'm like, wow, this looks <laughs> this like really liquid, it's, it's feces, but no, it, I'm plant-based, so it was green and it didn't smell as bad, but, and then oh, these poor dear. young junior nurses were just mortified and I later learned too, my doctors, oh yeah, the NG, that's one we always give that to the junior nurses. <laughs> But so, I mean, it was also lighthearted because it's not cancer. It's not cancer. Right? And then so there I was again in the hospital for three days or four no, days. About five. Five? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then uh, blood pressure twice a day. And I'm asking for my blood pressure and I'm jotting it down. I was like mid 60s. And, and, you know, it was just incredible blood pressure. And I was like, wow, that's great. <laughs> so they're Such looking geeks. at me like I was kind of geeks. And yeah. I recovered from it. So, but again, there's always that kind of thing in the back of your head. Is, is this going to yeah. reoccur? That, that certainly struck terror. That first, those first hours until yeah. we got the, the real diagnosis, you're just, you're, yeah. it's panic. Well, but now you have a seven year follow-up that shows you're clear. So that's, that's right. right. There you that's go. Exactly. That was exactly right. Because that's the one thing I've kind of put off doing the CT scans for a couple of years now, because those again, uh, you go into the room, you're sitting down, that, that machine sound. It's an emotional roll call. Yeah. 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 yeah, we have a, another gentleman we interviewed with uh, stage four prostate cancer. 
uh, and he's gone plant-based and improved, but he won't go back for evaluations. Uh, he just doesn't want to know. Yeah, it, because they've told, they told him the same thing, go home and prepare. There's nothing we can do for you. And so then he said, well, then why should I go back? Uh, I'd rather not know. I'm, I've already changed my lifestyle. I'm living the best life I can. Things have improved. So there's that, you know, there's that plus one way or the other. Do I want to get the bad news? Because is it going to change anything? It's really yeah. tough questions. Yeah. But, so, you know, we, we've just... Uh, hey, we're, whatever happens in the future happens. But for, for now, we know that it's just been a phenomenal experience, not only, you know, surviving it too as well, but what we've been able to share and impart and hopefully assist people. And, you know, when we've got onto this, you know, plant-based health advocacy as, as, as keynote speakers and, and, and providing content or creating content on our social media platforms and Sean's fabulous plant-based cooking now. And um, when you get somebody, a, a total stranger in a public place and somebody taps you on the shoulder and you turn around and somebody just says, thank you very much for what you've done for us. I'm so-and-so, we heard about your story, we've done this, this is what it's done for me, thank you. There's, there's nothing like it. You know, yeah. police work has been very, very rewarding uh, to assist, you know, victims and so on. But, but this here, you know, teaching people how to advocate for themselves and, and, uh, instead of abdicating their health. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, just by changing what's on the end of our fork has changed our lives in every possible way aspect it's Mm -hmm. just it's it's it was bigger than getting married it was bigger than having babies (laughs) it was just completely life-changing yeah and so we carry on we uh we started this for health and then animal ethics became uh a large part of of our lives as well and we've become quite active animal activists yeah because it's when you start off to this you know and i'd never had a a tablet you know i'm sitting there recovering and i'm hooked on to to social media then you start reading and learning about you know the animal agricultural system you know the the health facts about it but then what the system is and what we do to animals and then you add in the climate uh, environmental impacts of animal agriculture it's like Holy crow. And again, we've never been told all this or taught this. And as a police officer, I am evidence-based. I seek to collect information, credible information, and um, that is verified and is supposed to be what is the truth or but evidence-based. So then when you get into this aspect of of what, what we've been told all our lives and then you learn otherwise... Again, you're a little angry, but you're very hopeful as, okay, certain things can be turned around. And it, it was, you know, before, you know, I've always thought of myself as an animal lover. Now what I realized I was a pet lover, but, you know, mm-hmm. you would, I, on my walks, I, I would pass a large um, pasture of cows and I'd always, I'd always feel bad and guilty. And, but I'd say like, oh, gee, sorry guys, but we need to eat you to be healthy. But then when you realize that it is completely the opposite to that and how animals actually arrive on your plate and that they go through so much suffering to cause us so much suffering, it just becomes ludicrous. And then when we find out that animal agriculture is destroying the planet, you know, through, you know, on many levels or, you know, topsoil degradation, deforestation, species loss, dead zones in the oceans, you know, second leading cause of greenhouse gas emissions. It's just, it's, it, it's just like, 
wow, we need to say something about this. We need to do something about this. Yeah. We've been following you guys and seeing how active you are. And then COVID hit. Um, how have you guys been able to stay active? Yeah, that's been, I think everybody's experienced that. Anybody who is, you know, out advocating for whichever cause, but with, with respect to, you know, animal rights activism or, or again, advocating this, it's, it's a lot of outreach. So a lot of physical street outreach. Uh, where you're trying to engage with the general public face-to-face, uh, be it with the marches, be it with uh, protests or, 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 or the street advocacy with, uh, you know, the Anonymous for the Voiceless or the Earthlings Experience is another one where that's just showing TV screens or computers with some of the images of animal agriculture. So that has been tough. And I think as many of us have done is we're back onto the keyboards and online. Uh, but I think what has been remarkable and as we, you know, here we are again today on another podcast is the interconnectivity of everybody online with the seminars and webinars um, and summits. Oh. It's just the, the content and the caliber um, that has come forth, you know, the, the, what we've seen this year online. That has been tremendous to see, and I think hopefully, too, what that's done, and I think it's doing it certainly, is that we're outside the echo chamber now. There's a lot of people that may not have been exposed to all this information. There's so much of it now. And then when we look at, you know, commercially and with respect to consumerism, you know, plant-based nutrition and plant-based foods and vegan food, uh, for all the multitude of reasons, it's out there now. Yeah, it's definitely gaining traction. It is, yeah. you know, I think, uh, you know, we identify as whole food plant-based vegans because of course vegan is the, the ethical aspect, whole food plant-based is the health aspect. Um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of hard for people to, you know, you're getting into the weeds, but we really advocate for a whole food plant-based lifestyle because as much as these vegan foods are really great for transitioning and they're better for the animals and they're better for the environment, I don't think you're going to reach optimal health by eating these things. So it's, it's kind of this fine line that you walk that you support them because you want to see less suffering for the animals and the environment, the Transition foods. but, but we're not advocating that people eat them so much. It's like, you know, people are always, I mean, you must have heard there's so much controversy about Beyond Meat and Impossible Burgers. And, and it's always, well, what is it? Is it better than what? Is it better than broccoli? No. Is it better than a beef burger? Yes. yes. So <laughs> it's, that's kind of, uh, an interesting, we're at this inter- uh, interesting cross-section of trying to advocate for both. But there's no doubt, there's no doubt, even in the general public now, you know, years ago, the term vegan, okay, you know, people are starting to become familiar with it. Now, people are not only familiar with the term vegan, they're familiar with the terminology of whole food plant-based. And yes. that's, that's really incredible when you talk about moving mountains right. that we might not see we're doing inch by inch. But when you take a look back as to that long term, what's been accomplished is pretty amazing yeah. with, again, with, we have, you know, healthcare providers and physicians such as yourselves and, and, and you know, couples that have these, mm-hmm. these skill sets that can combine. And what we're really seeing now is that some of the summits that have always been just health based are now weaving in the ethical. They're having, uh, like I just watched uh, the Plant Fit Summit. They had Damien Manders on and they had a captain from Sea Shepherd. And I just, 
I just thought that was such a wonderful mix to have in with all of the, you know, the, the powerhouses of the plant-based world, but from the health aspect, and then just start weaving in some of the ethical and environmental I just love yeah. it. And the and the reason I think that is so important is because it helps us to connect with our why, right? Yes. If yes. we become whole food plant-based for the sake of health, well, we might, you know, wander off again or for whatever reason, maybe start adding some animal products. But when your why is strong enough, for example, for the planet that we can contribute to making this planet healthier, or that we're no longer contributing to the suffering of animals, and those whys are so important to keep us eating whole food plant-based. They and powerful, really because are. there's no, you know, the argument or the debate is, you know, well, how effective. There's no other, there's no other way or, or personal contribution that you can make, uh, you know, not everybody can afford a $90,000 electrical car. We know shorter showers ain't going to cut it or light bulb, you know, changes are, aren't, aren't going to do it. But what you do three times a day, every day of the year, every year of your life, the food on your plate has such a massive effect on the outcome of what's going to happen next for for our planet and for us as a civilization right. as a species and, and the other species yeah. and even if you're whole food plant-based and you're the, the healthiest human specimen on the planet if you don't have a planet to live on what's the point mm -hmm. and you guys were in that summit the plant fit summit yes, yes. Yeah, yeah a couple we, of times that we've been fortunate we and again that just goes to show you the connectivity that with this community uh, that um you know, not, not not just as a presenter, but as participants or, or you know attendees. There's so much information available from credible individuals that you know it's mind-boggling. It's it's you know from definitely from grassroots level up as to the people that are passionate about this, imparting this knowledge to, to help others is just, it's an amazing yeah. community. Yeah, I mean, I think the internet is known for a lot of misinformation, but my God, there's some really great information yeah. as well, if you look at the right spot. So, mm -hmm. so we carry on, we, uh, we uh, lots of people reach out to us who have been diagnosed particularly with cancer, but other chronic diseases as well. And while we're not doctors like you, Riz, that we can't give that kind of advice, we give them advice on what to eat and what we did. And the Here's, whys. Yeah, why and what we did and help them how to do this. And, um, you know, I'm, I've always been so grateful that I had this in place when Dan's diagnosis came mm. along because I understand that it's a lot of work to change everything in your kitchen and how you grocery shop and how you cook. And I understand too how fragile you are when those diagnoses, diagnoses come along. Um, so, I mean, I think that's one of our messages as well is do it now. Don't yeah. wait till the 11th hour, yeah. make those changes now. Um, and, and you're golden, you know, you're, you're, as you move along, it gets easier and easier and come what may, mm -hmm. you'll be in better shape to handle yeah. what comes. Yeah. I might add, you know, you know, there's other reasons like right now we're in the middle of this COVID crisis and, and, and the major, the major risk factors for, uh, for, you know, succumbing to COVID are obesity, uh, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and hypertension. And, uh, so why not just, uh, you know, change your health now, take control of your health and improve those things and, and lessen your risk for, uh, for uh, coronavirus death. Exactly. Yep. And yep. I think, you know, God forbid we are exposed, you know, yep. we have a really robust gut biome. Um, you know, our immune systems are much tougher. 
So it, as it is now, it's kind of like, you know, you're like, oh, gee, I don't feel that. Well, I think I, I think I just had the flu for an hour and then it's okay. gone, right? Yeah. Oh, allergy symptoms have been, you know, almost disappeared. I used to have sinus issues. Sleep patterns are far more improved, moods. Um, one of the issues that I often speak about as well, too, um, years ago, I kind of ignored several symptoms that, um, you know, really bothered Shauna as to some of the behaviorals that I was exhibiting. Uh, and I kind of put it off. There was alcohol uh, abuse and consumption that uh, several, you know, back in 2009 or 08 that I had to, to combat. And then finally facing the issues of, well, perhaps I was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to get a handle on things unofficially and perhaps I'm exhibiting symptoms and I'm going to work on this. I want to improve our relationship. I want to improve our, our, our family life. And, you know, the alcohol consumption then came into check was better. Um, and um, once I got onto a plant-based diet and lifestyle, then you start to see some of the emotional changes in your, your mood and just your well-being. And then once I got post-cancer, I was in a mindset that, okay, if I could handle this, I got through this, is now again, now I've really got to revisit this because I was about to retire and I thought I'm not walking out the door from my organization without getting possible treatment or looking at seriously what was going on for that near decade. And um, so I did, I went into counseling and I was formally diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And then again, when you start doing more research with respect to the brain and so on and other organ functions, then you find out that the brain's main fuel is glucose, which we know comes from complex carbohydrates. Complex carbohydrates are plants. And that what the difference is, is consuming complex carbohydrates, what it can do uh, for, for leveling off those moods and in general your well-being. And I, you might want to interject, Dr. Riz, on that. or, or the serotonin the and ser the dopamine yeah. and all of those yeah. things. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And, you know, this, uh, this Western diet is so full of the, the simple sugars and high fructose corn syrup and all these artificial flavors and things that dramatically alter our diet and our metabolism uh, and the processed foods as well. And so, yeah, we are, I mean, I can, I can see uh, where we're dramatically altering things and, and changing. And then also its effect on the gut and the gut micro microbiome, which I think is very important uh, in our immune system as well as our hormone system you know, yeah. uh, in, in so many respects. It's, uh, it's fascinating to me, though, you know, the, the, the keto issue and how people will push that. You know, I, I firmly believe, I, t I describe it as, you know, we have, these, we have diesel engines, we have gasoline engines, we are carbohydrate engines. You know, don't try to make us run on something else, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and we, we're, we're, we're efficient and we run the best on carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we see, you know, uh, epidemic rates of depression and, and it, well, of course, we're not feeding no. the brain the fuel. That and again, it it's, un it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, people go to the ends of the earth to try and figure this out and to provide support uh, to our first responders that are suffered from depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and there's little talk about nutrition. And it was interesting when I was looking at uh, the PTSD Association of Canada's webpage, they talked about neuronutrition. And then again, there was another aha moment. They had it 99.9% .9 accurate where they had an infograph was all plant-based foods, legumes, nuts, seeds, vegetables, fruit, and so on, and water. And But then they had a small symbol fish for lean protein. It was like, 
You know, close. No, close. So that's a start. That's huge. It is a start. Yeah. yeah. So I knew that, yeah, you know, that again, you don't have to die of, of this diagnosis. You can live with it. And if you want to minimize the symptoms and, and eliminate symptoms, possibly 100%, nutrition is so important. And it has proven itself to me again, too, with that condition as to what it's done for me. And I don't know where I would be now. Um, well, with the cancer and also with the PTSD, I, I really didn't hold out much hope at the time. So got over the one I thought, no, I can, if I can handle that, I can, I can look at this and, and, and get a handle on it. And we certainly have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Part of the a way that you're all, continue to outreach, share your story and encourage others is through some of the virtual programs that you guys are going to be part of the plant-based eating support group. Did it just pass? We were speakers at, at, this, at uh, their series. We were the first speakers of the series. So, Emma Levez, yeah. she's a holistic uh, nutritionist in Camel River, which is Powell on River. Powell River, just yeah. a few hours from us, a small community. Powerhouse vegan community. We were there yeah. in 217 for their their first veg fest. Yeah. But, so uh, yeah, we group. we speak um, on. We seem to be asked to speak on a lots of different places, which is still pinch me moments because it's like here we are, just these really basic ordinary people that happen to change what they eat and uh, changed everything, and now people seek us out. Yeah. It's quite interesting. Um, one of the things you know that COVID shut down as well is that I was a co-facilitator for the CHIP program here, the Complete Health Improvement yes. Program, which I'm so deals. sad that that shut down because, of course, you know that's such a phenomenal program. Mm-hmm. Five-week boot camp. We do the blood work at the beginning, blood work at 19 the end. Nineteen years in our community. Yeah, group. twenty actually, 20. and and you you can't argue with the blood work, right? And you you get these. Uh, I think particularly husbands get dragged into these programs and they sit there with their arms crossed and I don't want to be here and I'm not doing this. And by the end of the five weeks, they're so Ah. gung-ho and then they get their blood results back. And there's actually, you know, people are overcome with joy and, and there are tears and that is such a high for me. I just love that. And so I'm really sad that that shut down and we're trying to figure out how to somehow do it virtually, but we also do so much, uh, hands on, you know, cooking samples and grocery store tours. So it's hard to replicate that in a virtual setting. But um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of got our fingers in a million different pies. Yeah. Um, Which is great because again, <laughs> you know, it, and you know, we've never monetized what we do and we kind of, and that's the, again, the, the, the beauty of this mu- movement. There's so many people doing this just for the basic fact of because they're so compassionate and want to help others. And, and uh, there's nothing more intrinsical than, than volunteerism. Yes, it's a uh, you know you had your life rooted in service as a as a police officer and and uh, and your life rooted in service now. Right? Yes, so definitely. And hearing each one of your stories again, it's you both have said it, but you know you give people hope. Sean, when I heard your story in the movie the first time, I was very touched um, when you talked about feeling like you were a spectator in your own family's you know outings and events. So you have given um, 
people with weight issues a lot of hope. And then when I finally met you in person, I just thought you were so beautiful. I remember saying to Riz how elegant you looked in your dresses on the cruise. So (laughs) beautiful. And you're so photogenic, too. If you could have seen me, I was outside painting just before this did not look photogenic. (laughs) But thank you. You clean up good. And I have to say, I was, uh, it took, Dan Dan really encouraged me to publish my before and after pictures. That was so hard for me to do because I did feel so much shame associated to those pictures. And he said, well, you know, if you really want to help people, if you really want to inspire people, you'll need to share this. And so I did. And it did have such a huge impact on people. And it does give them hope. But, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the whole fat shaming thing. I, I feel like I'm in a position where, you know how you can make jokes about your own mama, but mm-hmm. God forbid anybody else makes jokes. So I'm in this privileged position of having been obese that I can actually comment on about, about obesity and being overweight because, you know, that was me. You cannot fat, you know, I'm not fat shaming. This is me. Mm-hmm. And I think that our society has really gotten into this dangerous place where it's such a taboo topic and you see all of these even supermodels now who are plus sizes and that it's it's normalizing being obese and it's like oh I'm happy I just want to be happy with me or I'm happy in my my own skin but that's such a dangerous message because it's not just you know and I think everybody should be treated with respect no matter what size they are obviously But what people are missing and what society is normalizing is that these people who are obese, these young women in particular, are going to have trouble in their pregnancies, are at a higher risk for cardiac disease, are higher risk for diabetes. You know, there's so many issues associated with it, just coming right down to joint pain. I mean, I remember my knees were always aching. So I see that there's so many young women now that are, are... you know, obesity used to be for our grandmothers, and now it seems to have shifted down, down, down to now we have children who are being obese, and they're not understanding what the long-term consequences or even the short-term consequences mm-hmm. are. So I think um, that's a really a, an important message to get through to is that you're not just losing weight to look better, to get back into your wedding dress. You're getting, you're setting the foundation of how you're going to live for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And what, what could possibly go wrong if you don't make those changes? Yeah, and I think it's, it's uh, for too long we've uh, made it about how you look, whether you're pretty or not or handsome and whether you're in good shape. And, um, and I think it's good that society is trying to get away from that judgment. Uh, But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that we want people to be healthy. Uh, and so we should promote the health aspects uh, uh, rather, rather than the judgmental aspects of it. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, Dan, you've managed to share your story in another documentary as well. Yeah, actually, it was interesting because we've got a, a film producer here in Vancouver, uh, Gary Charbonneau, had an excellent film come out a couple of years ago. Um, ex- it was um, exposing the Vancouver Aquarium, uh, so the animal rights issues of captivity and so on. So he reached out to us and said, I've got this new film that's coming out and uh, it's with respect to uh, the animal testing module in model in uh, medical testing and uh, how, you know, how faulty a system that has been. 
And um, so we said, sure, well, I'll give you an interview. I don't know how applicable it's going to be or what I can, you know, provide. But uh, so again, as documentaries, you kind of go and do the interview. And, and uh, he got back to us last year. It was a couple of years ago now that I gave the interview. Yeah. And uh, you always figure, oh, I'm going to end up on the cutting room floor or who knows what. So he contacted us. Yeah, the film's finally coming out. It's been selected for the, just this week was the International Vegan Film Festival played throughout the week. And his film was selected. And uh, the title that he, he uh, chose was uh, The Medical Illusion. And it was interesting because it was all on the medical aspects and scientific evidence with respect to how faulty animal testing is. And he didn't touch very hardly went to the animal ethics side of things. It was all about the science. And um, it turned out there were several cancer diagnoses that were interviewed in the film. So then that was my aha. Now I understand why you wanted me on it because I was, you know, part of the system with respect to, you know, to a trial phase study. And so it was a very good film. Um, was an excellent topic. And so, yeah, we're now, you know, one film, Samuel Jackson is a co-star with us. <laughs> and uh, now in this other film on a different topic, but very much related. Um, and uh, again, our advocacy as a police officer, uh, I've been advocating to assist victims of crime and victims of violence for 33 and a half years. And knowing what victimization is to prevent victimization and to bring those to justice who victimize others. So then when you start learning about the animal agricultural system, the, 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 the level of brutality that is levied against these animals and what they suffer is some of the most brutal violence that I've ever seen or, or witnessed as a police officer. So now I've just changed the species that I advocate for. And mm. it's, you know, all species. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I've been involved with some gruesome criminal activity of homicides and so on and abductions and things. And um, we see dead victims. And then with the animal agriculture system, we see what that victim looks like and feels and goes through before they're killed. And um, it's till, uh, till my last breath, I will be, you know, helping these victims and seeing if we can reduce the victimization and eliminate it hopefully one day. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Do you guys have any final words for our listeners, uh, words of encouragement? Just try it. Just try it. Just try you it. Know, do for, it. Do it for a month. Yeah. And uh, I, I really think, you know, we live next to a lake. Dan dives in. I creep I used in. To, yeah, I used to yeah. not like cold water. Now it's <laughs> He like- just dives in and I creep in and it's like every inch is painful. And meanwhile, it's all, you know, up to maybe my mid-thigh and he's splashing, having a lovely time. So I think the analogy is dive in because you'll enjoy it that much faster. If you just, I know that a lot of people say take the baby steps, but I really think that if you dive in, you're going to see, you know, Big changes bring big results, and that brings big motivation. And your taste buds change that much faster. And as a police officer, you know, Dan would come across, uh, you know, lifelong addicts that he had dealt with, and they'd be clean suddenly. How did you do it? I went cold turkey. I quit. I quit. Because nobody ever gets over a heroin addiction by just doing it every Sunday. Um, So, you know. Take the deep dive. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think too, like you start, when you start to see, and then if you can, get that baseline test done, you know, collaborate with your physician if yeah. you've got, like I say, prior medical situations going on, monitor your medication. 
But when you get that baseline blood work at the beginning and then within about you know, six weeks or two months and see what the results are, yeah. unbelievable. It's amazing how quick it happens, right? Uh, exactly. Yes. I'll manage patients for a lifetime with a hypertension pill, a diabetes pill, uh, a cholesterol pill, and you're just managing them and they never get better. Uh, and then they go on a plant-based diet, a whole food plant-based diet, and two months later, all these things are normal. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's amazing. We refer to it as the trifecta of this lifestyle, be it for your health, the health of the planet, or the animals. Pick a door to go through, and I guarantee you, you'll walk through the other two doors as well. Yeah. And when you combine all three of them together, it's like, wow, the only thing you'll regret is not doing it sooner. Yeah, it's a very powerful motivator. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're on social media platforms with Indian Rock Vegans on Instagram and Facebook is our, our group pages where, you know, we hub information, we direct people to the experts such as yourselves, we share the information. Uh, we're trying to create more content of the cooking and the food. Sean, you're doing cooking demos? I try to be more dedicated. Um, Indian Rock Vegans uh, Indian Facebook. Indian Rock Vegans Facebook. That's where we do all of the health aspects of everything. Yes. Um, and uh, we were offered uh, a membership as uh, brand ambassadors at a gym. And at Orange Fitness Orange Express. Fitness, and, yeah. and so when they had to close down for COVID, they went virtual and they asked us to do cooking shows cooking that. demos so we did mm -hmm. that for a while for them and we just put snippets of those because it wasn't our content it belonged to orange fitness but um so we want to do more of those but we also have a seven acre acreage that keeps us really busy as well and um we seem to be a, a vegan drop-ins center <laughs> we have people that are traveling that that we never say no so we have a constant flow of people slowed down with covid yeah but, but yeah. we we had a lot of people like camping in our driveway or you know it, but it's it's quite astounding when we get our camper we're going to be boondocking with you guys <laughs> Excellent. That would be great. We would love to see you guys up here. So we've seen the animals on the property. So those animals are your, well, are they kind of passerbys or go? When you see me with pigs? Yes. Where are they? Those are sanctuaries that I volunteer okay. at. No. Being an animal rights activist, you see a lot of horrific things. And I just felt that I needed to have uh, I needed to see animals, happy animals. So I started volunteering for sanctuaries and um, that has been wonderful. It has been wonderful to be a part of rescues. We uh, rescued calves from the dairy industry that were due to slaughter and we bottle fed them. It was, it was actually really, um, they come so diseased and unhealthy that everyone involved got so sick and um i i don't think people understand how diseased the animals are everybody associated with those calves had to go on antibiotics uh we all got respiratory issues we all got it was it was really quite real amazing eye a real eye opener but they survived they survived with the love and, care and, and and the vet said it would have been a, he he really didn't think that they would make it because they don't get their mother's colostrum they don't get the antibiotics because they're just being sent off to slaughter so our dairy herds are living on antibiotics it's the only thing that's keeping them surviving and it, it was shocking how, how everybody got sick. Our, the sanctuary vet uh, actually quarantined the farm because of mm. how, ev how everybody was so ill. So, but that's, it was wonderful to bottle feed those babies and see them grow into healthy 
cows. Um, they're lap they're big, cows. Oh, they're just big puppies. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the pigs as well. Uh, there's pigs that have been rescued from industry as well. And um, it, it's just wonderful to have a relationship with those kind of animals mm -hmm. and to see uh, pigs in particular so intelligent. They're so amazing. When you connect with those animals, you're reminded of why you're making the choices that you're making, like Dan said, every day, you know, three times a day, we make this choice to eat plant based so that we don't contribute to, to the horrific things that these animals go through. See, they're no different than any other animal that we have as companions. Yeah, in fact, mm -hmm. pigs are smarter than dogs. So it's, it's quite amazing. So yeah, so that's another thing that uh, I like to do as well. So and I think it helps. Uh, I use that on, on our social media platforms as well as I talk about uh, the animals that I'm having this relationship with and what their lives would have been like had they mm -hmm. been actually in the uh, animal agriculture industry. Because I mean, I was in my mid-40s after having two babies and nursed them, and yet I thought cows ate grass and made milk. How did I not know that they needed to give birth as a mammal to produce milk? Because we're so veiled from the truth. There's a, just an amazing amount of information that's just, it's how, can, how do they keep it secret from the general public? Or, a, or the general public just puts blinders on and doesn't want to know. So just trying to lift the veil in that mm -hmm. respect. Well, guys, uh, you know, we could talk forever. You know, it's, it's, been, uh, it's, been, it's been fun catching up, and we've really enjoyed having you on the show. I think everyone's going to enjoy uh, listening to this and watching to this, and we want to encourage people to reach out and uh, join your Facebook group and, mm -hmm. uh, and support you guys. We'll include all the links on there. It's been no, so yeah. great to see you guys. And you, guys was... you guys have been quite the inspiration for us as well, and, and you know, we all work together and encourage one another and provide that energy to to keep doing what we do. Well, we're looking forward to the day where we can uh, meet in person again. Yes. yes. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your All time. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Bye now. You've been listening to the Plant-Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.